Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikama. With me is Benjamin Solak on the final day of Offensive Line Day for our Summer Scouting Series. We at least have four more guys that we are talking about that we had on the schedule. I know Ben's got some extra guys that he's going to bring to the table at the end of the podcast, so might get closer to that six or seven number in this episode, giving you guys a little bit of bonus. Ben, before we get it going, how are you, my friend? Lifelong. Seattle Kraken. Fan, I was gonna say we gotta, so about, we gotta talk Jacking about we gotta talk about we gotta talk about the Seattle Krakens. No, go, okay, go Seattle ahead, go Kraken. ahead. Seattle Kraken. Oh, so, all right. So a singular. We are. It's like a we are Groot thing, but it's like we are yeah. Kraken. And like they are the Kraken. That's what the plural of Kraken is. Kraken. All right. That is a Kraken. How many times those are Kraken? How many? T- <laughs> how many times do you think people are gonna say what's Kraken? Right, and that's the. I saw somebody, uh, uh, just like you know, do like a hypothetical bit of, of like a post game recap, just using like everything that rhymed with atin, 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 like the Kraken were acting, when they were smacking cracking, around the you know cracking, so so cracking open a cold one. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot of room for that, but I just think I just think mythical creatures to me are the coolest mascots ever. I think it's awesome. So I mean, like I I just think it looks great. I think the colors are cool. I think it's really fun that Seattle has a hockey team. I think. It, I think it would be a fun way to get into hockey, which I'm not into currently. If I started extremely closely following the Seattle Krakens, that's probably what I'm going to do. Look, I said this on Twitter. Playoff hockey is the best postseason in all of sports. I'm not going to lie to you. And also, okay. I, I would argue that going to a hockey game live is the most fun sport to see live. Is like soccer in the fact that every goal matters a lot? Because you got to think about it this way. Football is extremely, the points are extremely important and the games are normally tight and that's good. But like in basketball, you score so many times, like so many baskets are made that sometimes right. you, it, like it's just, you don't really care about it nearly as much. Baseball has a much slower pace of play. Hockey, that's a nice way to say that. Hockey has points at a premium and yet it's as fast paced as any sport out there. So everything's moving at high speeds. It's strategy within the blink of an eye. And when you get into the playoffs, more so than other sports, and it's these guys that are... What was that an eight seed beat a one seed in the NHL playoffs? Yeah, okay, All right. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast, There's exactly one playoff series of which I know the result in the entire history of the National Hockey League. And I don't even know who the Lightning lost to. All I know is that they did. Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, it's the it's the greatest choke job in sports history, without a doubt. But it's fun outside of that. As long as your team does not commit the greatest choke job in sports history, hockey's a lot of fun. We're not the Locked On Hockey Podcast, though. So we should probably we should. get back to the reason why we're here. Look, I, I don't know if Locke has all the hockey spots filled. If you also want to start the Locked On Krakens podcast, I'm down to Kraken. do that with you. Stop calling it Krakens. We got four offensive linemen that we're talking about today. At least four offensive linemen. Daniel Falele, Jackson Carmen, Alaric Jackson, and Creed Humphrey. Ben, where do you want to start today? Uh, you want to talk Falele because we just did you know, kind of the elephant in the room situation? Uh, are you saying the elephant in the room because he's as large as an elephant? Yeah, pretty much. All right, so Daniel Falele from Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne. 
he got recognized because a University of Hawaii coach was on a recruiting visit to Australia and saw him and was like, hey, bud, you ever play football? And he's like, hey, I don't know what that is, and I don't know who you are. <laughs> so, and so, and the, then that Hawaii coach offered him a scholarship on site. It is worth noting. I believe he, yeah, saw him do like three athletic moves, and then he was like, "All right, you want to come to Hawaii full ride? Want to have a free education, son?" So then, obviously, tells his parents about it, looks more into it, ends up going to IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Which, if you don't know a lot about recruiting, IMG has become this true like hotbed for. If you are a damn good recruit, you're probably playing at IMG. That's where he ended up going to get his initial training for the game of football. He said that while he was at IMG, I believe he didn't even play his entire first year when he was there. He was just trying to learn the game, learn the rules, learn how things worked. He said he played a lot of Madden. Ends up getting a lot of scholarships to some big schools. Uh, Pulling this up here. I know Alabama's one of them. Georgia was one of them. Arkansas was one of them. Auburn was one of them. Ends Mm -hmm. up picking Minnesota because he said he really liked how P.J. Fleck Immediately wanted to invest in him, even just beyond football. Uh, and as a guy coming from a different co- country, I would think that that would honestly that would that would mean a lot, especially because football hasn't been all he's ever known. It really hasn't. So ends up picking Minnesota. What did you think when you watched a guy as raw to the game of football as Falele is? Yeah. So we we should start by okay. So Daniel Falele is now listed at six four and two and four hundred pounds flat. I. I don't really care if he is 400 or not. All I know is that if you clear like 375, I'm calling you 400, right? I mean, like that's just like a rule of nature at this point. Of course. We are not, in my opinion, looking at a Makai Becton situation because what Becton was, even for his size, which which Falele is larger than Becton, we're talking about that. Becton's build, the way his mass was constructed is what was so shocking about him and, and and his profile, right? Like, Becton came into the combine at what? 365? Like, 6'7", 365? And as every draft analyst said this, he doesn't look like he's carrying 365 because he's got, like, taper to him, right? He's got, like, a, a build to him. You can, like, he's holding mass in his thighs. He's and just a shoulders. large human being. Right. He doesn't, like, have, like, a big gut or anything like that. So Falele, 6'8", 400, obviously bigger than Becton, but also the build is completely different from Becton. Falele is just humongous, right? He is extremely girthy, has a ton of mass to him. Falele would likely benefit from losing weight. That's this is a simple. Falele would likely benefit from losing weight when he goes to the NFL. I mean, if he's going to be Trent Brown, Brown is what? 6'8", 340, 350, oh, right? Yeah, I want to say like he's... He's between yeah, 340 and 350, 50, I feel like. He's 6'8", 359, according to Wikipedia. Oh, wow, so, okay. Yeah, so we're looking at a guy who, who likely has to drop some weight. That said, very easy to see that not only physically, size-wise, length-wise, we try strength-wise, is he what he needs to be athletically, but he also is mobility-wise. Like, he's 400, so he's not springy, he's not getting out there, whatever, but for what a 400-pound man wearing shoulder pads is... He can move. He clearly has movement ability. Fleck talked about the fact that like they went to play him as a true freshman. They said they weren't going to, but they did because there was no denying the fact that he was just good enough as an athlete to cause problems. Like 
obviously the size being the primary thing, obviously the, the length and the strength being the primary thing, but he also had enough quickness, enough burst, enough reach to him that defensive tackles or defensive ends, excuse me, weren't going to go through him and they weren't going to go around him. And that's pretty much what you want out of your offensive tackle. Right. So they put him out there. So athletically, he's clearly what he needs to be in the NFL. And I think he can lose mass and become an even brisker mover. Now, at 6'8", 6'9", with the amount of mass that he has, I can't tell you where he is from a flexibility perspective. And, like, I don't know how much that's going to matter. He's never really going to be getting his pads underneath the guy. Like, that's just kind of not going to be in his future. But you can even see when he's fighting a pressure rush, he's just leaning on the guy, and it, it, it's as if his hips aren't activated, right? He's just a board. He's just a 400-pound board. Yeah. So you rarely see him ha- you know, get his upper half wrenched back, and he has to bury his feet, and he has to work flexibility through the knees into the hip flexors. Like, that's just not something that's on his film. Uh, I don't know if I care. I don't know if it matters. I just know that I'm not sure about it, right? So athletically, just... He challenges how you evaluate offensive tackles overall. Football IQ is bad. He's known about the game for four years. Right. What do you expect? Right. Right. Chauncey Golston uh, is an edge for Iowa. He's a good player. Had like three PBUs at the line of scrimmage in that game. And the reason was because Falele didn't understand when Golston was just sitting waiting to kill an RPO. Right. Falele didn't recognize when Golston was just keeping himself outside the edge of rushes. Knows an RPO is coming his direction because that entire offense is RPOs. You can tell by alignment. Oh, there's Tyler Johnson in the slot. That's where it's going to go. Golson would just sit, wait, jump. And Falele doesn't know how to bury him, doesn't know how to to get control of him. So there's football IQ stuff there. Falele will, will, they'll hit that outside zone and Falele will be down blocked and he'll go to climb to the second level and just have no idea where his aiming points are, right? Just every time he does, it's different. He's just hoping that there's a dude up there when he climbs. You know what I mean? So there's, a lot of basic stuff that guys who have played the position for a long time are going to have ingrained in them. That's not like when Falele is challenged by explosive rushers, which give him the biggest issue right now, guys who get to his outside shoulder, you can tell his movement is very segmented, right? So he's like, oh, shoot, that guy's out there. Lunge with my hands. Oh, wait, I should catch my feet up. Catch my feet up. Oh, he's coming back inside. Reset right. my hands. Yeah. Right. It's very robotic. Even when he gets to his pass sets. Yeah. Kick, step, kick, step, kick, step. Right. He's 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 going through the linear linear choices. That's all very OK. It's all very fine. It is a very reasonable expectation for a player who as is as new to the position, to the game as Falele is. The nicest thing is that he's clearly natural with his hands he's got great grip he's got good location sometimes with these taller tackles it can be tough to locate your hands well he knows how to carry his hands low and carry his hands high he can divorce his hand usage i think he's 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 a good natural blocker he knows how to get his hands on guys where his points are where the joints are he knows how to uproot dudes uh you know he's got torsion strength to him and so he can get guys out of gaps if runners are coming behind him so there's, there's some good natural ability there in the upper half lower half needs work in my opinion very, very exciting guy. Going to be early drafted. Doesn't matter. He, he could come out tomorrow. No new film. Going to be early drafted because he's six eight four. What does early drafted mean? Top 50. You think that he'd be a top 50 pick right now? Yes, absolutely. He's six eight four hundred. I have no... I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I have no idea what to do with him because... Blame a tackle. No, I, I, I hear you, but clearly there's so much of... Like you said there, it, it's almost like he's studied for a test you know and he's got his notes that he remembers like oh yeah like then I'm supposed to do this then I'm supposed to do this it's almost like a math equation for him there's no I just don't I don't feel like there's any flow to how he plays you say that he's 
naturally athletic. And I would agree. I think that that's the reason why everybody has has taken the chance on him immediately. I mean, I guess to mm-hmm. your defense, the Hawaii coach was like, look, man, I'll give you a full ride to our university and our football program after I see you move like four times. Maybe he was even just on the basketball court. So I, I know that there's allurement there, but I guess I don't understand um, what exactly goes into teaching that part of offensive line play to right. know how much I'm going to draft or like how high I'm going to draft him because I think there's plenty of things to like and you brought up Mekhi Becton. There's a reason why we marvel at the guy and I think it's because of how incredible of an athlete he was at just the sheer size that he is. I see that same kind of like mental benefit when you go to look at what he does with Falele, but like you, you're like you not putting this guy out there at offensive tackle right now in the NFL. So I, I don't... You're not? Dude, I feel NFL rushers would work him. They would mentally do gymnastics on this guy. You don't I think mean, so? I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't want to put him one-on-one against Vaughn tomorrow, but I would feel very comfortable putting him at right tackle, putting a tight end next to him, and daring anybody who wants to try to get around him in two seconds. Man. I, so here's the, my, this the is she, like what I... Okay, go ahead, but, go ahead. Yeah, at the top, I said that like because of his frame, he challenges just the way that you scout right, the position. right, right. Like, like with his flexibility, like I don't know if I care. So there, like uh, Nate Tice, you follow Nate Tice on Twitter? Yes, I do. He was talking with Sam Monson the other day about front seven stuff, and he said that like he's a huge believer, and he put it in quotes. So he said, "I'm a huge believer in, in quote do shit stats, right?" Which is to say that like I want my front seven guys to have tackles, sacks, pressures. Like there's like you know there's some positions where it's like all right, high production can be usage or whatever, but like for the front seven, Nate Tice just wants his guys to do stuff with. Falele and with offensive tackles, I just want you to be very hard to get around by pass rushers. If that's technique, if that's athletic ability, if that's size, if you need help by alignment just to make sure you get it done, whatever. So long as it takes a defensive end a long time to get around or through you to my quarterback, that's what I want. And 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 how that gets done can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Once you introduce six, eight, four hundred, and probably I would say at least thirty-five and a half, if not thirty-six inch arms. To the equation, huh. it's gonna be hard to get around him. So we kind of like he's he's gonna, even if it ain't pretty, even if it's the way we don't typically see it. I think he's gonna get the job done. Now, ideally, doesn't start, loses mass, ton of time working technical stuff, recognizing rushes. Absolutely, that's what should happen with him. But I mean, like it's like Jordan Mailata, who the Eagles drafted in the seventh round, who had never played football out of Australia, right? I mean, they're keeping him on the roster because. If you need to stick the guy out there, you're going to have problems. You're going to have to help him, but 68350 is tough to get I know. around. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to draft the guy in the top 50 that I'm just sticking out there. I he's I don't know. And like I said, maybe I just I don't know enough about the teaching, the parts of what he does now making it look a lot more natural because right now I'd be right now I'd be really scared to draft him like at, at obviously day three, you take a chance on any guy who's got this kind of size. But I'd be I'd be scared to draft him anywhere in the first three rounds just because I don't know. It looks too unnatural for me right now. Mm. I get it. You've just got you've you've got a lot more faith in him big becoming fella. the football player that he needs to be because right now I, I see him as a big dude. And actually, I, he was he was further along than I get. I really thought that he was going to be after reading up on his background because it's good for him, but. Those next steps, I mean, there's a difference between discovering the game of football in high school and college and then still being in, like, 
your sixth year of just knowing what football is, and all of a sudden you're going up against NFL talent. I I don't know. I don't. It's he was he was super hard for me. So I I was really interested to see what what you thought of him. You were really high on him. He's decently high on our our draft network database. So uh, who did his? I think Kyle did his write up, and I was reading about what Kyle thought of him. He's thirty. He's thirty seventh right now on the big board that we have on the database. And so Kyle is obviously a big fan of his projection too. Maybe I'm just more scared because I don't know exactly what to do with it because he just looks he looks too robotic for me right now. He it's looks like he's just kind of mem- a believer. That's that's fine. You definitely are a believer. Uh, who do you want to do next? Um, do you want to do Creed? Well, sure. Creed Humphrey. Just sure. go completely the opposite direction. Yeah, go from like that rawest ball fun. of play that's ever existed <laughs> to like uber technician boy. Yeah, yeah. Six foot five, three hundred and ten pounds. The center for the Oklahoma Sooners played on an incredibly talented offensive line two years ago at Oklahoma. Last year there was less talent on the offensive line because it all got a lot of it got sucked up via the NFL draft. But Creed Humphrey, because of how young he is, he wasn't even draft eligible back then. He was able to stay as the centerpiece for that Oklahoma Sooner offensive line. He's got 26 starts over the last two seasons, and I think you nailed it there. A technician. Uh, you, you, we mentioned that I was scared because Falele doesn't exactly know what to do in certain situations. Feels like Creed Humphrey knows exactly what to do in an, mm. almost every single situation when I watched him on tape. What would you think of him? Yeah, I said yesterday you don't see centers very often setting protections. And then you turn on Creed Humphrey film and you go, oh, <laughs> they trust this guy a little bit, don't they? Right. And what it is, what the reality is, is that there's so much RPO play action based offense in Minnesota, but also in Oklahoma, that when, you know, if they're running RPO, running a play, I shouldn't say RPO, if they're running play action off of like their GT counter, right? Then, yeah, Creed has to make sure that he IDs the mic because that protection scheme requires so many offensive linemen moving in so many weird directions that you all really do have to be on the same page relative to the fronts um and so humphrey does point out uh, mike he does point and call out protection which is really nice to see uh if you want to dive into the x wrestlers make good interior trench players argument you 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 start with creed humphrey which i extremely subscribe to Give right. me the core strength X wrestlers who then put on a hundred pounds and became O linemen. Right. What 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 the name of the game is is it's leverage and then compact movement. Right. And those are the two things that that we look at here. One with Humphrey. Uh, Humphrey's listed at six five. I am suspicious. Um, but he plays with a ton of really good leverage. So he is squatty. He gets down underneath you. He knows to get his hips below you so that he has the advantage with his center of gravity, his center of mass lower. Then, knowing where to get his hands inside your armpits, knowing where to get his hands on your side, knowing where to get his hands on your elbows, Humphrey's able to get control of at least half of your body. And then quick, compact, powerful movement from the ground up, including a resetting of his feet, to pull you where you were to where he wants to go. Yeah. Right? Like, his ability to uproot players who do not who are definitely longer than him, definitely had a pre-snap advantage over him because we've got to remember Humphrey's snapping the football. So he's got to get that second hand down and then back up. His ability to uproot those players is redonkulous. And and very rarely do we say this of offensive prospects, but he may even have an advantage playing against Big 12 defenses 
because of how often he got zero techs, how often he got yep. true noses on yep. three-man fronts right in front of him. That is very challenging for a center. Creed Humphrey cool as a cucumber, baby. Extremely polished, extremely comfortable. Now, because of that zero tech and because of, of, of the nature of Oklahoma's offense, Creed Humphrey rarely leaves the first level running plays or passing plays. You often, in other systems, see centers get up to the second level frequently. You do not see that with Creed um, because Creed's very frequently covered at the snap. And even if he's not, he's often down blocking down to like a four eye down to a three. When he climbs, he's not super comfortable. He's not a leggy dude. He is not a, a, a he's decently explosive. I just don't think he's, he's really comfortable on the hoof. I just don't think he's very, you know, uh, good at, at, at deceleration, good at, at adjusting his angles. He's just not very comfortable there right now. So if you're looking to put Creed Humphrey in a wide zone team on, on year one, I think you're going to be a little disappointed with his early play in the second level. He's not super comfortable there. The big issue, however, is length. He's not long. Well, and again, yeah, like, right. if you want to talk about wrestlers, this is very often where we get is these guys, it's it, being short and stubby in the arms can help you. Uh, and so he's, so good at in a phone booth being compact and being powerful in a short area, but all of a sudden he gets bench pressed. Uh, and, and at times he has to cheat with where he puts his hands to just fight to a stalemate because he knows he cannot fight a bench press and he cannot break length. Uh, so that's going to be a thing when he starts to deal with the Chris Joneses of the world uh, who are able to rush from the A-gap with a ton of length. That's just not going to be a player that he projects to be successful again. So he has his flaws. Uh, I think that he's clearly been a potential round one interior offensive lineman for a year now you know almost two seasons now but there is a distinct physical limitation to me in his movement ability and then especially in his length which to me is going to keep him from being like a tippy top prospect yeah i i noted the length the length is certainly there that's something that i think that he deals with well enough but it's something that is it's, it's he's always going to be susceptible to guys who have longer arms i think that that's just always going to be the case even if he could deal with it pretty well um which i think that he can plenty uh, especially when you're thinking about it for the next level he is so smart though he understands how to attack a shoulder how to get there when he's reaching how to redirect how to seal run lanes exactly where things going he just understands stuff really really well and i was watching a couple of interviews with him and you know he get asked like hey what's it, what's it like you know playing center what's something that's you know, required for being the middle of that offensive line, no matter who's around you. And he talked about chemistry and things like that, but he just talked about knowing the offense overall. He um, was, I was watching an interview with him and um, Holly Rowe and Maria Taylor, where they said, what, what's the trait that you love? And he's like, you have to know the offense, like the back of your hand. Like you got to know what mm-hmm. you're not just the two dudes next to you, right? You've got to know the tendencies of the offense tackles. You've got to know, what your running back is normally like, when he likes to cut, how wide he likes to go, like things like that. It's, you just have to master and know the rest of your surroundings so well, and I think Creed does. I actually thought he was decently smooth when he was getting to the next level. He didn't do it a ton, but I felt like when you saw him on the run, I didn't note that as, as much as a, a limitation as you did. Maybe, maybe not as confident when he's playing in that phone booth, but... I did, when I was watching his film, I, I just did I did not note that as like a serious weakness of his. I actually thought that he was pretty comfortable getting out from where he was in that traditional center spot. He's super strong. I think he's got a really nice lower half. He knows his base and his center of gravity really well. I think that that comes from that wrestling background. That he's got good hand placement. He knows where to put it. 
He can latch on to guys pretty well. And then, of course, just the body control overall is my last note here that I really loved, whether it's him shuffling left or right or trying to mirror a guy who's going on a stun or having an inside move or a guy looping around that's coming in through center. I think that his eyes are always looking around and he continually, no matter what, can take contact or take like a like a speed to power that a guy's trying to prove on him and he could just slowly anchor and get to a point where he's not getting pushed back any further and I think that you you talked about the leverage of him I'm with you I don't think that the 6-5 is is quite accurate I feel he's right I feel like he's like a shade under 6-4 for as well as he uh I just like he's as a, well as he has leverage yeah, but he's a, a boxy young man and so he may look shorter because he's so maybe he's i just so I, I didn't believe that six i mean because he's li- like he's listening six five three thirty which is biggin um and so if that's true and he's carrying that at center wow you know I mean, that's impressive alaric jackson let's touch on him from from uh from iowa he was the guy on the mm-hmm. opposite side of the line of scrimmage than what tristan Worfs was playing Worfs was the right tackle jackson was the la- left tackle Jackson could have come out last year, didn't. Was it the right decision? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, so that's a tricky question because I don't think Jackson's a super highly ranked prospect last year, but I also don't think anything he does this year is going to really change that because I think that the biggest issues with Alaric Jackson are that he's stiff and you don't become not stiff a year later. You know what I mean? He does a lot of goat yoga. What's goat yoga? It's like where you you like go to a farm and you do yoga, but there it's like at a it's like at a fenced in area and there's just a bunch of goats around you. Do the goats help? Uh, I would think that most of the time they don't help, but like sometimes yeah. if you might be like in a certain position where your back is flat, maybe a goat will like jump on you. Oh wow! Okay, I'd be willing to try that then, just so I can get a goat jump. Okay, oh, okay, so now that you know about goat yoga, do you take back you saying that he can't get any better and more flexible? I mean, so, like, I think him That's returning this year... That's what I thought, Ben. <laughs> gives, certainly gives him an opportunity to show a physical profile that's different. I'm not sure how much I buy that it's going to happen. But, yeah, you watch Alaric, uh, powerful dude. If Alaric could just kick out block and down block for the rest of his life, he'd be the greatest prospect alive. So maybe he's a guard uh, <laughs> for that reason. Because when he gets to come off the line forward, hips into the direction he's heading... He can move some people. 6'6", 320, got power in those hands. Can really shock at the initial at the initial point of contact. And then grip, sustain, maintain, and control is all there as well. couple plays, uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota in the running game where he just took, you know, like a stand-up outside linebacker on whom he had about 70, 80 pounds. And, I mean, just carried the guy 10 yards down the field. Poor fella. Just can't do anything about it. Just look bad on film. Like I, I, yeah. <laughs> That's about, that's about once Alaric got his mitts in you, I mean, game was over, and now he's just going to make you look stupid This next is Wisconsin, week. But, right? Uh, there was Wisconsin plays. There was Minnesota play as well. Okay. Wisconsin, he took 41. 41 for, had the worst day of his life. and a half. <laughs> yeah. That's just, listen, just don't show up for film on Dude, Monday. Dude, I am, I was watching the Wisconsin, I think Wisconsin was the first game that I watched of him. And I went, when the things that he was doing to 41, I was like, all right, I'm drafting Alaric Jackson in the first round. What of it? <laughs> you know, like, right, yeah. that's, and it's funny that's just like, like how it was. You see the sideline getting lit, and you're like, the sideline's getting disproportionately lit for a 12-yard run. And then you realize it's Iowa. Sideline's not getting lit because of the ball carrier. Sideline's getting lit because of Alaric Jackson. 
murdered a kid. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like that that's yeah. that's what Iowa cares about. Now we can we can stay at Wisconsin if you want. Zach Bond showed you everything you needed to see about Alaric Jackson as a pass protector. First rep of Zach Bond. It's the first line I have here on my uh, Alaric Jackson notes. He sees Bond stand up seven tech outside of him and just fall steps the heck out of his stance. He's trying so hard to fly back as quickly as he can because he knows that Bond's going to win a race into the corner every single day of the week. So, firstly, he regularly fall steps in his pass sets, which we haven't really talked about that. We've been watching a lot of good tackles. It's not an issue you see among top prospects, and it's an issue you have with Larry Jackson, where that outside foot comes up instead of going back at the snap because he, he's not appropriately balancing his weight in his two-point stance and because he's trying to strictly backpedal to his spots. He thinks he can get there faster versus doing it in his kick step, whether it's a vertical or 45. So you have f- feet problems in his pass sets, and then, like I said, I think you have hip stiffness. So even when he gets back there, he's upright, he's presenting a large target. He does not like to sink his hips in his stance. And so Bond was able to come at him speed to power and give him some significant issues getting inside of his chest and immediately creating displacement power back into the lap of Nate Stanley. And that's just going to be the profile for getting after Alaric if he stays on the outside. Threaten him to the outside, force him to open the door, and then either go through him or go around him, whichever one is easier. Uh, If he gets a punch on you, then he's fine. But he has to play at extension and try to catch you because he's not tethered to the ground. He's not building a strong base. You need to activate those knees, activate those hips, and have your feet in the turf in order to deliver a punch. And he can't punch because he's upright, he's floating above the ground, and he's backpedaling, right? So even he negates his own strength as a pass protector because of the way that he panics in the lower half. So so to me right now, I have a player who I do not like in pass protection at tackle and who I do like coming off the ball and moving guys. So to me, I, I, I you know, I, 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 like I said of Alex Leatherwood a little bit, this might be a guard. Uh, Walker Little, this might be a guard because of the issues that I've got on the outside on the corner with him in pass protection. Yeah, all the issues that I had for him had to do with forming that edge of the pocket. I think it was, was it against Josh Uche? I can't remember, in the Michigan game where he's dropping vertically and within two shuffles, he realizes, oh God, I'm getting beat to the edge. And he does that thing where his feet just like cross, like he crosses his feet as if to gain more ground because he wasn't going to get there naturally because he's just not fast enough when he's shuffling around the pocket. And that was kind of the encompassing thing of like, hey, here's where he's really limited. When he squares you up, and I think that he does a pretty good job of squaring guys up. Iowa had him out in open space, or at least to the second level, a handful of times now that I'm remembering it. And if he got a dude squared up, I felt like he could really drive them. He could really move these guys. And and to me, if that's your biggest strength and you really struggle with moving back and getting vertical and dealing with guys around the edge, that gives me the projection to guard. That makes me think that, hey, you could play this position better than you play tackle because it allows you to play to your strengths more. That's what, when I look at Alaric Jackson, I actually see a guy that I'd be pretty happy with at guard because I didn't hate him as a prospect. I just saw a ceiling It was relatively low as a pass protector because it felt like he couldn't deal with a lot of the guys who were fast in college football. It's only going to get worse in the NFL. So I'm with you there. I saw the same things. I liked the the potential guard transition because I really do think that, shoot, if he gets you in between the shoulders, he's going to be a mauler. Like, he can move you. I I don't think a lot of people are moving him. I think that he's a big dude. So I'd be very interested to see what he's like at guard. 
he's not going to get that look at Iowa this season. So we're not really going to see it. That's going to remain a projection, but that's what I thought of him too. Yeah. And it's funny because what you brought up with Uche, right? Like Josh Uche did Iowa bad for multiple seasons. And it's because they just, when you have your tackles in a three point stance and you have a rush like Uche up against them, that Uche is just eaten, right? That's his plate. Like that's good. That he's going to be at an advantage before the snap. So Alaric does suffer a little bit from where he ended up, but at the same time, he probably wouldn't have developed so nicely as a run blocker if he didn't end up in Iowa. And so there's there's two sides to that coin a little bit. I, I wish he was more comfortable in a two point stance because that's what he's going to be asked to do in the NFL. You know, this is true. Josh Carmen from Clemson, last guy. Jackson Carmen. Jackson Carmen. Wow. Of course, is what I said the first time, Ben. Get your ears fixed. Clemson Tigers left tackle. Former five-star. He was a reserve player until 2019, and then he started 15 games at left tackle. Ben, when I saw when I saw Jackson, he the dude is a mauler. He can yeah. move some people now. And this Big is fella. this was a fun, this is a fun watch. What do they have him listed at? 6'5, 345. He's yeah, a big man. He, young man. He can really move some people on the line of scrimmage. Yeah. If you want Jackson Carmen to be around one prospect, that's no issue. Just watch every game but the Ohio State game and you're there. Uh, <laughs> he handled ACC rushers. Kendall Coleman uh, and Robinson, yeah. no problem. I, I, I made sure to, after I watched the three games, I watched three other ACC games, and then I was like, you know what? I've got to find this Ohio State film. I've got to plug this on. So I'm with you. I was very impressed with them till the Ohio State game. Yeah, and it's just, when you watch Carmen, you say, all right, so much good stuff there. That's really nice to see. Uh, what are his worst reps? You're like, all right, in pass protection, he really wants to land that punch, so he goes lunging for it. But that's okay. That's no problem. He's got great length, and he's got enough balance he where he can recover. And so I thought, we're fine. I, I, I felt like he, I felt like he attacked defenders at that like reach point, like fully extended yeah. arms, quite often. I was, yeah, I was, I really like that at about extension. Him. Yeah, he, the second you spiral into range, he's shooting. Uh, which we can talk about. I, to me, that's always been more of a stylistic thing. Like, I don't really knock prospects for that. Some guys want to play there. If you're 6'2", 295, 33.5-inch arms, and you're playing at extension, I'm worried because I think that you just don't have enough size. For Carmen, who's clearly extremely powerful, it's just he absolutely fundamentally understands if I grab one fistful of jersey, I'm not losing this rep. Right, so that's, right, that's right. the plan. You yeah. know what I mean? For him, and it's, so, it's so much me, more stylistic. I would agree. Right, yeah, exactly. To me, that's a stylistic thing. Um, But but he'll waistbend, right? I mean, he'll he'll lean into it super far trying to get it. He'll deaden his feet when he thinks it's time to throw his punch. And if he misses it, then he's got to put himself in a recovery situation. And recovery for him is more about length and strength than it is about, about foot quickness. I think his foot quickness is fine, but it's not elite. Uh, he's not tremendously flexible. Um, uh, so again, like when he's in recovery at times, he, he can really be pushed back into the peak of the pocket, but you see him re-anchor. So it's okay. It's just, all right, he likes to play with his weight over his toes. He likes to play super aggressive. It's fine. But then you watch a rusher like Chase Young, who number one can physically outclass Carmen when he's in recovery, but secondly, and more importantly, has the technique and the intelligence to understand how to attack Carmen's aggressiveness. And I mean, he waxed him for four quarters. Well, I feel like, like he, he, I feel like Chase knew going into that game. 
exactly what we said that Jackson loves to reach and he loves to get you at full extension. And I felt like every time I saw Chase Young beat Carmen badly, it's because Carmen went to stretch out that arm and Chase Young went, nope, and just swiped it away immediately. Well, that's right. That's what I'm saying is like once you introduce a player like Young, who, like I said, like athletically, he can win a recovery, but also like what we know of Young's technical improvement from 2018 to 2019 was that he got so much better at beating rusher, beating tackles the right way, beating tackles how they were weak. Uh, You know, he has such a wide toolbox that with Carmen, I kept watching that film being like, all right, we're going to get to the plays where Carmen has figured out what's going on and he can settle back in. And we just never, ever got there it was not a half of domination it was not you know on third downs it was every play yeah every one-on-one opportunity eventually Clemson just stopped giving them to him and that's where you 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 start to ask the question of okay is this guy just used to being bigger stronger longer quicker than everybody else yeah and when he's challenged technique wise he doesn't necessarily know the response because that is a very real thing with offensive tackles right and like when you start talking about these big long offensive tackles who are used who are like super big recruits and just were so used to out physically outclassing people and then they come to the NFL and they start to realize that the caliber of competition is different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's not an unfamiliar mold, Greg Robinson, DJ Humphreys, to what we've seen bust early in the league. And so yeah. you've all you've got to say, you've got to be able to adjust. Yeah. You know? Well, you just have to understand how rushers are going to come at you and what you got to do to deal with that, yeah, right? Right, they, right, right. You you've got to be able to be more than I I mean this 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 goes along with everything in scouting, but I just don't think it gets talked about a lot with offensive line play. You can't be a one-trick pony. Like we're saying, and I think that that you're you're laying out a perfect example here with Carmen where, "Hey, here's how I have beaten everyone in the the ACC." This is my style of play. This works. But when somebody exposes it one way or the other, you cannot then become useless. Like everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, guys that they are, you know, more prone to dominate or more prone to lose to on a rep by rep basis. But you can't just become like totally useless. You can't then be, no, all right, well, you can't adjust whatsoever. So we're just going to expect pressure from the left, left side of the line of scrimmage no matter what. I, that's, that's the difference of what makes a first round prospect as opposed to like somebody else. If you ask me, you you just cannot yeah. become a liability outside of what would be your wheelhouse. You've got to have a lower floor, even when you're, when you're going after your weaknesses. Right now, there's two important things to note here. Number one, I immediately went to find 2019 Clemson versus Duke. Cause Duke's got good edge rushers and you didn't catch them. Uh, Clemson against wake forest. Uh, which was a late November game. I'm pretty sure Basham didn't even play in that game. And either way, I didn't have the film of it. So there's a big note for Jackson Carmen, which is that he absolutely has a very important season ahead of him because the last taste we got of that guy was Chase Young beating him up and then Caleb on Chase and LSU beating him up. Number two, Unlike a lot of tackle prospects, Jackson Carmen had to face Chase Young and then had to face Caleb on Jason. That's just <laughs> like, you know, it's not super fair Doesn't have to, often. you know, like I, I've got Sammy Cosme ahead of him. Sam Cosme never had a deal with with uh, Chase Young. And I'm going to tell you, he did. Chase Young probably beat him around the yard. Right. So there, there's 
it's a difficult conversation to have whenever sure. we're dealing with a, yeah. a highly recruited prospect who is so dominant and then just against his top competition just did not have good games. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if we if we had ended Tua Tagovailoa's evaluation after the 2018 national championship game against that Clemson defense, Tua would have been a bad prospect given how we're currently treating Jackson Carmen. You know what I mean? So there's somewhere in the middle sure. for Carmen, and I'm not sure where it is yet. A lot to like, and then just some really eye popping bad film. And you see, again, like the truth is, is per usual somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah. Very important season for Carmen coming up. Un- and unfortunately, this is really fair with offense, or sorry, unfair with offensive linemen. This, but this is just kind of the way that it is. You know how offensive linemen will say, like, hey, I played 65 snaps, and you're over here, you know, highlighting two of them. Yeah, and you're like taking the two bad plays and I had 63 other really good snaps. Well, unfortunately for offensive linemen, even if what you're bringing to the table and like where you win as a prospect has a high ceiling and and you're dominating a lot of the guys that you go up against, if you have a low floor, like if you can get attacked in a certain way and just become completely vulnerable, that's bad. That's not going to play. When you're an offensive lineman, especially a first-round offensive lineman, your floor has got to be decently high, like or, like all around, if, if you're going to be picked high. And is that unfair? Yeah, because there are a lot of other players in different positions that can have bad plays, and you just go, okay, you know, it was a bad play, it was fine. It might not have been in your wheelhouse. It might not have been something you were super comfortable with. But when you play offensive line, you play every single snap, and your play matters every single snap. And so this is a really interesting eval and it's good Jackson Carmen is going to be a really interesting study like you said uh, just because of those two reasons who are some of the other guys that you said that you took a look at that we could touch on before we get out of here yeah so real quick there are three small schoolers who I watched at some point during this whole process uh the first one being Dylan Raddins who we brought up the North Dakota State oh, yeah, North kid. Dakota State guy yeah who you you catch him uh when you're watching Trey Lance tough to miss quick physical length NFL size. Everything is very, very nice. Um, like Carmen, he's got jumping problems. He wants to hit a dude. Uh, and sometimes it's best for him to just sit back, rely on his length, rely on his athletic ability. Um, technique wise, hand placement, footwork, quality. Um, this is better than your average small schooler who's going to be an NFLer. He's which, six, like, I think he's, we got him listed on the site at 6'6, 300. Yeah. He's, he's got legit size. Now, I will say that. He's a little thin throughout the lower half. I was gonna say three hundred. It's not tells me he might be yeah. a little light. It's I think he's heavier than three hundred. Okay. It's not nearly right. the problem that it is for Spencer Brown, who we'll get to Spencer Brown in a second. Um, so yeah, he's a little light wow, in the pants. But he's got good power. Um, technique wise, he's solid. So this is to say, like, he's not like a oh, this would be a day three pick out of North Dakota State. That'd be fun. Nah, he's a he's an early round draft pick. He he could have come out last year and been a day two guy. I think he's going to be a day two guy this year for sure. Spencer Brown, who I alluded to is the offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. He is like six, nine, three fifteen. uh, extremely thin lower half. Looks like a tight end. Um, absolutely needs to reimagine how the weight is distributed there a little bit. He reminds me of Colton Miller, little Ezra Cleveland sort of builds, right? Which is like, yeah, you're a great athlete, but also like you're a toothpick. Like you gotta, you know, you, you have to have more functional power here. Um, Big time waist bender when he's dealing with speed rushes. He's got to learn how to settle his feet into his pass sets. But with that said, loves to finish, 
loves to hit extremely good on the hoof, right? Very good mover. And they try to get him outside. They try to, to run behind him on screen stuff. They try to get him to climb to the second level because of that. He's a great athlete. Uh, and, and again, some of that has to do with his build. Yeah. But Brown's an NFLer. And then the last one is uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. His name is Quinn. And I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. I think it's Miners. <laughs> uh, hold on. Quinn, All right. Miners. Miners. Wisconsin. Um, Minards. Yeah, I think it's Minards. Minards. Right? Yeah. That's how I'm going. That, that's what I'm going with. Shout out Owen Reese. Yeah. yeah so I, yeah, uh, it was a first team All American uh, for that level of play. Ridiculous film, Trevor. You would love it. He's just murdering kids in the second level. He hates linebackers with a passion. He's. I mean, like, I mean, talking, don't like, we all? Right, but we're they're, the run, like, they're the running backs of the defense. Yeah, this, I mean, like this, this is a uh, a uh, you know D three linebacker, two hundred and thirty pounds. Miners got ninety pounds on him, and Miners is angry about something. Okay, uh, so he Ho- hold on, hold on. This is my contribution because I haven't watched Miners. I hope that's how you say his name at all. So I'm looking at his profile here on Wisconsin Whitewater. He has the picture of him lifting the running back up after the touchdown, you know, like fully stretched yeah. up arms, like, you know, like you're doing with like an ice dancer. So I'm just saying you, you check that box because if an offensive lineman has one of those pictures somewhere, they're out here scoring touchdowns. Yeah. Then, then they're a good prospect. So, yeah. all right, we got the, this is a good prospect. Um, but he's got that thick build to him, that Creed Humphrey build where he's like, like I said, he's like six, three, three twenty, boxy dude. Uh, wonderful working combo blocks i mean like we know one of his coaches but well coached um like you know he, he's very nice they run a lot of power a lot of gap pull stuff and he's really really good moving out there in pass protection he's not going to be what you want in year one uh he's not he doesn't have the length that you're going to be looking for and i don't think that he has the ideal recognition foot quickness right now just be sitting there as a guard taking guys on he might be a dude who you want to transition to center depending on how your offense goes but he and Brown, senior bowlers, absolutely. Oh, um, yeah. And and Raddins is is he'll be at the senior bowl as well, just because of the level of competition thing. But he's he's beyond that. But Minert is clearly legit, uh, a legit prospect. I think he's an NFL caliber player. All right, I'm gonna have to watch him before we get to tomorrow's. Dude, you would love his film. You would absolutely you're, you're, love. His yeah, film. you're hyping it up right now. It sounds like a lot of fun. So I'm gonna get to that tomorrow. It's the Fan Friday podcast, but just like we always do, we're going to give our top fives. It's gonna be. A little bit more detailed this week because at least I'm going to break them up into two separate top fives. I'm going to have an interior offensive line top five and then an offensive tackle. Did we watch top five, five interior offensive linemen? We only watched like 12 dudes. Yeah, but like I'm going to talk about some of the other offensive tackles, maybe making the transition to interior offensive line. Can you get creative one time for the podcast, Ben? Jeez. Genius. God. That was smart. Got to tell you how to think outside the box all the time. So now that Ben has been primed on the idea of what we are doing tomorrow, it's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, on Twitter, I'm going to be asking the question for, or I'm just going to be giving you guys the baseline so you can ask the questions for Ask Me Anything. Y'all have gone above and beyond each week since we have restarted this. Every week has been better than the one before. I got, I, I, I've got no doubts that this one is going to be the best one yet. But that one's all on you guys. Until then... You guys keep it locked right here on Locked On NFL Draft.